This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to AI in Industry. And this kicks off our first episode in the month of September. The entire month of September, we're focused on one core theme with all of our episodes. And that core theme is the ROI of AI. And we kick off with an excellent guest. This week we have with us Sankar Naranyan, who's the Chief Practice Officer of Fractal Analytics. Fractal Analytics is a unicorn company in Bangalore. We interviewed them when I did my first big trip out to Bangalore and spoke with all the the big AI unicorns out there. Fractal is a very well-known kind of AI services firm based in Bangalore with a focus on consumer goods and a number of other sectors. And Sankar really speaks to us about some of his hands-on experience in implementing AI in different sectors and what it looks like to set a project up for success in terms of a measurable return on investment. Here on Emerge, most of our work with clients is strategic. So we help people support AI strategies with competitive intelligence and data. Essentially, people want to pick AI projects with a high ROI. That means they probably need some good homework and some good grounding on what the different AI applications are, what the evidence of return on investment is, how easy they are to deploy. That's where really we come in to help support projects. But Fractal Analytics actually goes in and really does the hands-on work, integrating, training, iterating with these systems and making them work in big, often stodgy enterprise environments. And so one of the big takeaways you'll get from this episode is having multiple ways of assessing ROI beyond financial. Sankar talks about different ways to measure tangible business improvement that isn't always, oh, a 1% savings here or 5% more revenue there. He talks about a broader lens of looking at AI ROI. And I think that that's going to be the particularly big takeaway from this episode. So without further ado, let's hop right in. This is Sankar with Fractal Analytics here on AI in Industry. So, Shankar, uh, where I wanted to start off here in terms of the, the theme of getting a return on investment from artificial intelligence is thinking about what business leaders should be doing upfront, you know, before they dive into a project, before they deploy resources, as they're sort of deciding what to do and how to approach a project. What, what should they be considering to make sure that this has the best chance of ROI in their business? Dan, first off, uh, thank you for inviting me into course, this discussion. Yeah. And as we get into answering probably the toughest question that exists in front of us. <laughs> yeah, uh, tell me about it. Uh, on return on ex- investment. So uh, let, me, let me take a step back and sort of, you know, Go for it, construct yeah. the problem a little bit, uh, little bit for us, right? So, so this is a question that our clients ask us all the time. Right, because most of these decision makers are constantly grappling with what what I term as attribution. How do I ensure that every investment dollar that I put into artificial intelligence uh, realizes that that dollar value back in multiples for the yeah, business? Yeah, that's that's a hard question. That's a hard question. Right? Uh, it is it is uh, it is not easy. No, and uh, uh, you know I, I'm going to stretch and say that. In many cases, it is actually not even that important. I, and, I will uh, totally agree, but I'd love your opinion on this. This is great. Sure, sure. And uh, uh, why why uh, that that becomes an important uh, understanding is is when I when I start to look at all the problems that businesses are tackling, most of our you know knowledge around what artificial intelligence can do to the business. Uh, stems from a number of really well uh, marketed examples that we've that we have heard and seen over the last uh, three or four years, and most of them actually uh, 
uh, have been in areas which are all well defined. For example, uh, the best chess player being beaten by artificial intelligence, yeah, the yeah, best yeah. Go player being beaten by AI. Here is the interesting, um, you know, question. Right? These are all problems that have a definitive endpoint. In in chess, it's very clear. You know, the definitive endpoint is to check and mate the king on the opposite side, uh, whether you're playing white or black. And in Go, again, there is a definitive endpoint in mind. Most problem statements in Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies do not have a definitive outcome. Right? This is a this is an important distinction. Problem statements that a Fortune 100 CEO is dealing with is, if it is a consumer goods company, as an example. Is the next product that I'm going to launch going to succeed? It has no end to it. What does success mean? Uh, is a question that you know has no end to it. Similarly, if you take an insurer, uh, how can I reduce my overall claims uh, expense ratio or my combined ratio? If you take customer experience as an example, in multiple industries, how do I improve customer experience? For, for my bank, for, for my insurer, and so on. Most of these problems, as you can see, are extremely hazy. They are really complex. The outcomes are, um, you know, can be defined in multiple different ways. And therefore, how do, you, how do you actually quantify the return on investment on something where the outcome itself is hazy? That's the real question, right? So as we uh, as we help uh, our our clients think through this, the first uh, and foremost objective that we set out uh, for ourselves as well as for our clients is: Do we really understand the business problems that we are looking to solve, and do we have a, a well-framed business problem? That's step one, right? And no matter uh, what we do, how sophisticated the the algorithms are going to be, the key question that we come back to is. Have we framed the business question really well? Yes. Um, and so if you don't mind, uh, Shankar, could we poke into that a little bit if I could uh, just ask a few questions about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I will, and I'd love if you could correct any of my thoughts here, but I, I think you're, you're pointing to something that business leaders absolutely have to understand. And hopefully those of you who've listened to the AI and industry podcast for months now will have kind of had this idea sunk into your head a few times. We are not talking about a board game here, and indeed, we are talking about open-ended business problems. In addition to that, we're, we're often talking about use cases where machine learning has not been used, right? So if we want to talk about, let's say, detecting payment fraud, you know, we, we might, in some circumstances, be able to define a certain ratio of false positives and false negatives that could define success, right? That, that, that might be possible. If we want to talk about, you know, improving customer lifetime value for a wealth management client over the course of 20 years how the heck do we get proxies for that? Not only is it vague as heck, as you're saying, in terms of the gray area of our definition, but it's also something where AI has just not really been used. And so a lot of these initial projects are often kind of guinea pig-like. And so it sounds like what you're saying is, if we want to begin in this admittedly gray world of AI and gray world of business goals, we have to find a way to first lock in and frame precisely what is it that the problem is. Does that involve quantifying the result statement in some way, shape, or form? Or is that more just the problem at a high level? Maybe you could go a bit deeper. Sure, sure. There are multiple ways in which uh, you know companies have done this. So uh, I'm going to share with you uh, how we think about what we called as uh, what we call as uh, you know scaled problem solving, right? Fortune 100 companies are not thinking about solving one-off problems. They are thinking about solving problems at scale 
that can have impact not just for a functional area, but for the business on the whole, and most importantly, be sustainable. So if you think about all of these keywords, which is delivering business impact at scale, and that can be sustainable, then AI is just one part of the puzzle. So as I was saying earlier, the, the first key uh, point here is, is to frame and reframe the business problem so we have a deep understanding across the board on what is it that we are looking to solve for. Is it, uh, is it a problem of growth? Is it a problem of inefficiency? Is it a problem of better experience for our consumers? What is it that we are looking to solve for? And and uh, along with the definition is uh, also about identifying what do we what do we define as the metrics of success? Right? What does success look like? Can we visualize success in a customer experience problem? What is it today? And how do we define success? And what is what could it be if everything goes according to plan? That's the that's the next big uh, step, yeah. which is about defining metrics of success. And once we've we've done that, there are there are sort of three parts in our minds that that come together uh, for enabling problem solving at scale. Number one is is about identifying those business areas or areas of high inefficiency, as I was saying earlier. Number two is what are the engineering elements that need to be uh, in place or that need to fall in place for AI initiatives to be successful? This could be everything and anything from, do we have the right data uh, in place? Is the data uh, of reasonably high quality such that decisions that are made on that data are of high quality? Is there sufficient data governance in place? So if something needs to be done in a sustainable manner, do we, do we know that this data is going to be available and is going to be accurate over a period of time? Are there dependencies on DevOps, on, on third-party data sources and things like that? And finally, how is the execution going to look like, right? Uh, this becomes, uh, you know, we call this the final mile of decisioning. Every decision has to impact a human at the end of the day. It's a human acting on the decision or is it, it is going to be a decision acting on a human, right? So every decision that an enterprise is taking at any point in time is going to be executed by a human and is going to impact a human. So do we really understand what are those human needs that need to be solved for? So those three elements of better algorithmic sophistication, better engineering, and better human behavioral understanding need to come together for decisions to be done at scale. Uh, and that's what Fortune 100 CEOs are thinking about day in and day out. Yeah, well, and a lot of them aren't thinking at this level of granularity or phases when it comes to AI projects. But in terms of handling complex projects, obviously, any Fortune 500 you know, boardroom is, is going to be familiar with, I guess, distilling ambiguity into something more succinct. But I appreciate you boiling down the data elements, the AI elements, kind of the phases to think through. Couple quick points. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring them up in order with you. Um, the first point that I would just want to run by you here is about the fact that sort of machine learning is probabilistic in the first place. So even if we think we have great data, we have good governance, we're not going to have any access problems, uh, or we can get rid of those access problems. It may be the case that the data that we have, even though it's a lot and even though we're smart, just isn't going to get the job done for recommending products or isn't going to get the job done for you know handling some kind of shipping and logistics issue or isn't going to get the job done for there is always the possibility 
uh, that we need to buffer for that, that there's a lot of tinkering, there's a lot of tweaking, and we can't necessarily say this bucket of data, given the right algorithm, is definitely going to deliver um, value. That's a bit of a culture shift and kind of a culture shock, I think, for, for many people in, in the enterprise world where with software, you know, we write the rules and then it does what we want. Um, is that culture shift something we have to address with business leaders? Does that have to be understood before we start talking about ROI expectations? I, I don't mean to be a pessimist, by the way, but I, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, uh, that's actually a really fantastic point, Dan. Uh, and I was going to talk about this uh, during the course of the conversation. There are sort of two sorts of people that that I encounter uh, across enterprises. One are the set of AI believers, which is uh, a set of people that would frame every problem into an AI problem. There's nothing wrong with it. It's one way of thinking. And then there is the other group of uh, people that I've encountered who are AI pessimists, if you will. And that's not because they don't understand uh, the value of AI. It's because they have seen too many uh, uh, problems being framed into AI problems, and therefore there is some amount of fatigue in using AI to solve every problem, right? So these are two sorts of people that, that we encounter. And then there is a broad middle, which is which will move around depending on where the funding sources are, right? <laughs> yeah. All of us have encountered this these set of people. Now, the truly um, game-changing functions and organizations that we are working with or we have worked with uh, have one thing done right, which is a belief in experimentation. I'll say this again. The truly game-changing companies and functions we have worked with believe in experimentation. Every problem has multiple ways in which uh, solutions can, can come together. And there is no one single way to get everything right because this is not a well-defined board game problem as, as you were yes. saying earlier. So the ability to test and learn, the ability to experiment, the ability to fail fast but pick up the learnings and codify the learnings are uh, are going to be very, very important. And I'll give you an example of, of uh, a very successful uh, company that we are working with. This is a consumer goods company, and they are uh, transforming themselves as we speak uh, in a big way through AI. And what they did right, in my opinion, uh, about, about uh, six quarters back, about 18 months back, was to bring in a visionary leader who said, I'm not going to support any initiative that cannot show progress in six weeks. Whoa, that's that's a that's a hardcore criteria for AI. This sounds like an interesting story here. Right. So so what this uh, what this person said was, I understand that there are a number of uh, initiatives that uh, are transformative at a at an enterprise level, and they would be long term engagements. But I'm going to support no initiative that cannot show progress in six weeks. And what this allowed the, the company to do is to be a lot more rapid in terms of not just defining the uh, areas that uh, that they were going to work on, but also be ruthless about what success means, what progress means, and therefore establishing a codified approach to measurement. So definition of the problem is one key element, but also measurement of progress became a very codified approach uh, in the enterprise that I'm talking about. And what they were able to do in a 12-month period was execute about 30 to 40 different initiatives, and they called every six-week initiative as an MVP, a minimum viable proposition. And at the end of uh, you know 12 months, what they were able to uh, identify was 
five or six ideas which had the which had the legs to become transformative at an enterprise level. And this year, what they are doing uh, in the next 12 months is to take these five to six initi- initiatives into organizational scale. Right? Got it. Um, and so this is kind of a culture of experimentation to some degree, a culture of rigor around defining projects, rigor around clarity on success criteria, and, and obviously speed and experimentation. It, it sounds as though, I mean, obviously that's not the norm in the vast majority of enterprises, but it clearly in your eyes, this sort of attitude is congenial to being able to leverage AI well. That's correct. And uh, I'll give you a few things that I've learned from this and which may be useful for uh, for the Please, listeners. Yeah, well. go ahead. There are, there are three uh, learnings that came out of this. Number one is very quickly, the teams working in on these MVPs realized that for an initiative to be successful, a cross-expertise team needs to come into play. It cannot be led just by IT. It cannot be led just by a business leader. It cannot be, uh, the teams cannot just comprise of data scientists for the initiative to be successful. Very quickly, the company realized that most uh, MVPs that, that, that become successful are because there are a set of multidisciplined members involved in the engagement of the project. So that was number one. Number two is they were able to uh, very quickly realize that an agile mode of working was always going to yield more results and measure progress better compared to a waterfall or you know previously well-known models of operating models. Yeah. That was number two. The third, and in my mind, the most key one was uh, the age-old question that we, we have uh, um, around documentation of learnings. I cannot emphasize the importance of this enough. Uh, documenting learnings and codifying these learnings so that the next MVP can uh, has a probability to become more successful was a key key learning. And they, they documented learnings out of every MVP such that the, the probability of the next MVP becoming successful became radically higher. Ah, wow. Now, just just as an idea here, I, I conceptually am grasping what you mean by documenting learnings, but I, I imagine that this could be so many things, right? It, it could be, well, we realize that the ratio of data scientists to subject matter experts was so high that, you know, w- we weren't able to really breathe in the, the amount of business context we needed to make this initial project work. That might be a learning, and that's kind of a little open-ended. And then there might be another one where it's about a specific set of data. We realize that our, you know, payments data system, you know, while it has XYZ going very well, has these two major issues to access in real time, and that these are going to have to be handled before we ever do anything like this, you know, again. So I could see them being very pointed or very open-ended. What does a documented learning mean? Sure, sure. And it is all of the above. Okay. Uh, So let let me give you a couple of examples of what this organization learned. Number one learning was for this organization, it turned out that for every data scientist to be successful, they needed at least two to three data engineers. So they they came up with a ratio of one is to uh, three in terms of data scientists to data engineers. So for an algorithm to be successful at enterprise scale, they needed uh, three data engineers to ensure that the algorithm could be operated on data that is uh, that is at enterprise scale. So that was an important so Just to touch on that real quick for the audience, the difference between data scientist, data engineer might mean different things to different audience members. Can you just clarify really quickly? Absolutely. A data scientist is someone that is uh, that is writing up an algorithm 
Uh, and essentially, the idea is to match or exceed human performance in a wide range of cognitive tasks, right? It could be anything from a simple descriptive analysis code to something um, very complex uh, uh, using deep learning and machine learning and, and all other techniques out there. So that's a data scientist. And a data engineer, on the other hand, is always thinking about making the solution work at scale near real time. So that would mean focusing on uh, uh, elements such as how do we ensure that the data uh, is set up in the right manner for the algorithm to be powerful. The data quality is maximized for the algorithm to be accurate. The DevOps and the data security that is necessary to make the data uh, be in shape uh, to be available for enterprise use. So all of these elements around ensuring that the data is always uh, uh, up to date in terms of quality, accuracy, availability, and sustainability is what a data engineer does. Yeah, okay, got it, got it. And, and so, okay, so it sounds like that was another one of the big lessons learned from this client's sort of experience was that making that a habit would allow them to sort of move more quickly um, with that, AI in general. That was one. Uh, yep. A second one was around uh, the techniques, right? They, they, one of the challenges that they were encountering earlier was no, very little consistency in terms of the techniques people would use. Now, data scientists uh, are, are generally, uh, they operate uh, like physicists. They, they operate with a, with a culture of experimentation. They always want to uh, make their algorithms one up over what already exists. So what, what happens uh, with, with that sort of an approach is the organizational learning curve becomes a lot slower than it can be. So how do you create a structure of ensuring that uh, techniques which we have seen work in a certain case are codified to be available at enterprise level, and therefore anything that needs to be done can be done as, as uh, you know, one step above what already exists. So that is something that they did, and they created an asset of all algorithms that was useful across various problems that they solved for. So that's that's another big learning. Got it. And just wary of where we are on on time here, this is all we're we're shaking out a tremendous amount of value. You touched on one last little point here that I just want to um, finish up with that I think is going to be really valuable for the audience. You'd mentioned something about how it's not always tremendously important to say, "Hey, how will we directly measure the ROI of this AI project?" Um, I certainly am congenial with that idea. I think that you know. Um, and you're going to have a different take. I'm just going to give you a thought and then ask you a question. You know, we, we often consider AI to sort of be a kind of a critical capability in some regard, building these habits around, you know, uh, cross-functional teams, building these habits around treating our data, harmonizing our data, overhauling data infrastructure, building these habits around having the stomach for experimentation. These are the bedrock of what the future of the business is going to be more than if this chatbot works, more than if this recommendation engine works. So we think that companies that are are sort of preparing themselves well, they're, they're not being loose with their budgets, but they are seeing AI as capability building, as, as investing in kind of organizational learning and overhauling of some legacy technical and kind of, you know, uh, human resources systems that, that will set them up for success. So it's, it's less oftentimes about measuring that direct first project. You might have a different take on that because you mentioned something similar. What did you mean there? Sure. So Dan, uh, you know, enterprises uh, uh, have this, this challenge of 
you know, CFOs wanting to measure the return on investment on always, every initiative yeah. that happens. Always, 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 yep. And it's great. Uh, it is it is a rigor that needs to uh, work, and uh, it is a rigor that has helped enterprises grow to the scale at which you know most enterprises have grown. Uh, having said that, AI, like you said, is a capability which will make us become substantially more nonlinear. So a human is no longer just a brain. A human plus a smart uh, set of algorithms will be substantially better than either the most intelligent human or the best written algorithm, right? And therefore, uh, we, we believe at Fractal that this human plus AI approach or the human plus um, algorithm approach is going to generate substantially more value that is sustainable at an enterprise level, right? Now, how do we visualize this? For most enterprise initiatives to be successful, uh, it is not just an algorithm, uh, you know, the, uh, the most sophisticated algorithm that's going to make an initiative successful. It's not going to be data that is pristine and data that is well harmonized that's going to make it successful. It is going to be that contact-centered agent talking to an irate customer at that point in time and what he or she says to alleviate that pain, that done at enterprise scale, that done with millions of consumers, that is going to define the success of an initiator, if you think customer experience as an example, right? So the real value of success is if we understand that AI is part of a supply chain of various cogs that need to come together for customer experience to become better. It needs that contact center agent to, to say the right thing. It needs that algorithm to, to essentially tell the contact center agent what exactly needs to be said. It needs the data to be absolutely right for that algorithm to throw that accurate insight. It needs the business leader to frame that challenge really well and not just think of this as let's digitize the enterprise. It's really about let's build uh, the best customer experience framework that the enterprise has had. So it needs a whole bunch of things to come together. So when you're looking at measuring return on investment, it is important to take cognizance of the fact that many of these moving parts need to come together for value to be realized. Yeah, it is not just add this tech and then measure it over here. It is an orchestration of a set of skills and ways of doing um, and technologies that will kind of have a confluence that will will have a return for the business. But that again, that's as you're saying, tough for a CFO to point a finger at one line item and and you know measure it. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. And we've heard on a number of occasions that if if finance is in charge of all AI initiatives, uh, we're gonna be in trouble. And I think that this is one big reason why that might be the case. And hopefully the audience is going to be a little bit smarter about sort of what to tee up beforehand to shake out the best AI ROI that they can. Shankar, this is a tremendous interview. Excellent, excellent insights. I sincerely appreciate you joining us here on the show. Thank you, Dan, for uh, for the insightful questions. Uh, I always, uh, you know, share with my colleagues and uh, and my clients that the quality of answers are really a function of the quality of questions. So thank you for the insightful questions. Nice. All right. I'll take that compliment. So that's it for this week's episode 
of AI and industry. Next week, we'll be bringing back a guest who I particularly enjoy, a fellow by the name of Charles Martin, Dr. Charles Martin, the head of Calculation Consulting, who speaks to us about some of the expectations to set ahead of time to get the most ROI out of an AI project. Um, Lots of hurdles to overcome and a very exciting and colorful episode next week. So you're not going to want to miss us here next Tuesday. Do tune in here on AI and Industry uh, next Tuesday to listen in for Charles. And if you want to make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes in this ROI series or any of our future series, make sure to subscribe. Go to Emerge, that's E-M-E-R-J dot com. You'll see an area to sign up for the newsletter there. And when you get the newsletter, you'll be reminded of all of our new podcast episodes in addition to our latest research and all the interesting material that we put out about AI's business impact every single week. Always publishing new material in addition to all of these audio episodes. So don't miss an episode. Go to Emerge.com, sign up for the newsletter, stick around with us. Otherwise, I'm looking forward to catching you on next week's episode on the ROI of AI here on AI and Industry.